Welcome to the Occult London Podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, and the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write a review and rate us on iTunes, as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk, where you can subscribe to the show. Hope you enjoy it. In today's episode, we will be continuing our discussion on some of the history behind um, astrological thinking with a discussion on some of the aspects of astrology that come from ancient Greece, uh, which is really the period from 900 BC to AD 150. This is a period of interest as it is thought that the Greek civilization was not as far advanced with areas of astrology as the Babylonians. And that it's not until the, around the 9th century that we begin to see them differentiating between stars and planets. In Greece, they followed the five planets, which were known as Venus, Herald of the Dawn, Mercury, Twinkling Star, Mars, Fiery Star, Jupiter, Luminous Star, and Saturn, Brilliant Star. The origins of astrology in this region are, as we already discussed, uh, not that clear, but they're thought to originate in the ancient Babylonian system, uh, the system of omens, that would have then spread through the Babylonians to other areas such as China, such as Greece, with the conquest of Mesopotamia by Alexander the Great. With the gradual fading out of the cuneiform system into Greek being the main language, the structures, the systems and the philosophy um, between Greece and Babylon begins to merge. And one of the earliest texts from ancient Greece that refers and references astronomy is a text by Hesiod called Works and Days written in 750 BC that highlights that there are propitious times to begin some tasks and here is a quote from it when the Pleiades daughters of Atlas are rising begin your harvest and your ploughing when they are going off to set Forty nights and days they are hidden and appear again as the year moves round. When first you sharpen your sickle. This is the law of the plains and of those who live near the sea and who inhabit rich country. The glens and dingles far from the tossing sea. Strip to sow and strip to plough and strip to reap. If you wish to get in all Demeter's fruits in due season and that each kind may grow in its season. And as you can see from the text, he's talking about different seasons being uh, relevant to uh, to the stars and also to some of the planets. Um, gods such as Atlas, who holds up the earth, and also Demeter, who's the mother of Persephone and who's meant to go into grieving uh, during the winter months, which is when, you know, the land turns barren. That's the period of time when Persephone is meant to be in the underworld. Other early Greek philosophers were also interested in, in astronomy and studied the movements of the stars and looked very closely at nature rather than astrology. However, with the influx of influences from the Babylonian area, um, astrology did start to become more in use and they also added rationalisation to it. For example, Pythagoras comes up with the concept that man is a microcosm and the universe is a macrocosm reflecting the universe. 
this theory presents the idea that there's this uh, kind of like a resonance or similarity in patterns and connections between human beings and the universe and that man is a smaller representation of the heavens and the universe in turn has this sort of anthropomorphic existence. This idea is very much in line with the animistic view of the universe where everything is in vibration as Pythagoras is meant to have written. There is geometry in the humming of the strings there is music in the spacing of the spheres. In the 6th century, Pythagoras also wrote the following in his Harmony of the Spheres. The sun, moon and planets revolve in concentric circles, each fastened to a sphere or wheel. The swift revolution of each of these bodies causes a swish or musical hum in the air. Evidently, each planet will hum on a different pitch, depending on the ratios of their respective orbits just as the tone of a string dependent on its length. Thus, the orbits in which the planets move form a kind of huge lyre whose strings are curved into circles. Around 200 years after Pythagoras wrote that beautiful passage during the 4th century, um, the Greek astronomer and mathematician Eudoxus introduced a calendar based on the Babylonian one, and he divides the sky into 12 equal signs, and also has the idea that the stars remain fixed in their positions, but the planets travel across the sky collecting souls. And this is really where we get this idea, uh, the word planet from, which means wanderer. Also, the Pythagorean idea of a microcosm and a macrocosm being connected, although it's not um, directly discussed by Plato, is clearly defined in his Timaeus when he mentions the following on the idea of the soul of the cosmos. Therefore, we may consequently state that this world is indeed a living being, endowed with a soul and intelligence, a single visible living entity containing all other living entities, which by their nature are all related. And that's Plato uh, Timaeus, 4th century. There's also other philosophies that fit with the astrological view of the universe during this time, um, such as the theory of the four elements and also the four humours, which are part of the method of Hippocrates. By elements, what I'm talking about is the classical elements, that, so it's water, earth, fire and air, which are essentially proposed to explain the nature and consistency of all matter. And these elemental ideas dated from the pre-Socratic time with Empedocles, Thales, and Anaximenes, as well as Plato. Aristotle also defines the elements as follows in his On the Heavens. An element, we take it, is a body into which other bodies may be analysed, present in them potentially or in actuality, and not itself divisible into bodies, different in form. That or something like it is what all men in every case mean by elements. Um, modern scientists don't tend to support the classical element theory and they've replaced it with atomic theory, which kind of is more around classifying atoms into more than a hundred chemical elements. So you've got um, oxygen, iron, mercury, etc. But Aristotle takes this idea of the elements further and he also adds a fifth element, which he calls ether or quintessence, which is really based on the idea that the other elements are earthy and corruptible but no changes can be seen in the stars, 
so therefore they must be made of a heavenly substance. And this idea is really of the elements being in nature also applies to all living beings on the planet, so all humans or animals. So you get this idea of the four humours. And the beginnings of this thing thinking is outlined in a Hellenistic text, which is known as Kore Kusmu, or the Virgin of the World, that is meant to have been ascribed to Hermes Trismegistus. And I quote, And Isis answer made, Of living things, my son, some are made friends with fire, and some with water, some with air, and some with earth, and some with two or three of these, and some with all. And on the contrary, again, some are made enemies of fire, and some of water, some of earth, and some of air, and some of two of them, and some of three, and some of all. For instance, sun, the locust, and all flies flee fire. The eagle and the hawk, or all high-flying birds, flee water. Fish, air, and earth, the snake avoids the open air, whereas snakes and all creeping things love earth. All swimming things love water, winged things air of which they are citizens, while those that fly still higher love the fire and have the habitat near it. Not that some of the animals as well do not love fire, for instance salamanders, for they even have their homes in it. It is because one or another of the elements doth form their body's outer envelope, each soul accordingly, while it is in its body, is weighted and constricted by these four. So the four elements or humours of Hippocrates um, are a kind of a dad adaptation of this concept where we get the body is classified into yellow bile, which is fire, black bile, which is earth, phlegm, which is water, and then blood, which is air. And Hippocrates also incorporates this elemental idea into astrology when he says the following. A physician who has no knowledge of astrology has no right to call himself a physician. Another important figure in ancient Greece in relation to the development of astrology and astronomy is Hipparchus, who lived in the 2nd century BC between 190 BC and 120 BC Nicaea, which is now Turkey. Hipparchus was a Greek astronomer, geographer and mathematician who lived during the Hellenistic period and is really considered to be one of the greatest astronomical observers and thinkers of the ancient world. He was the first to develop quantitative and accurate models for the motion of the sun and the moon using observations and mathematical techniques that he kind of gathered over the centuries from the Chaldeans. He's also uh, meant to have predicted solar eclipses as well as possibly discovering the precession of the equinoxes, although some people argue that the Egyptians did that. And he also compiled the Hipparchus catalogue, which was a star catalogue and one of the most comprehensive of that time. We don't have any time at the moment to go into the precession of the equinoxes. How just briefly this refers to the really the phenomenal of the rotation of the heavens, a cycle which spans a period of approximately 25,920 years, over which time the constellations appear to rotate around the Earth, taking turns at rising behind the rising sun on the vernal equinox. And it's due to this synchronicity between the speed of the Earth's rotation around the sun and the speed of the rotation of our galaxy. 
and the stellar procession describes the way that the stars move across the sky when seen from the Earth. And the most common thing that this causes is that the North Star's place in the sky gradually changes over thousands of years. Also, one of the most famous astrologers of ancient Greece who had a really big impact on the, on the science and art, and also Hellenism in general, is, is Ptolemy, um, which is the English name for Claudius Ptolemaeus, who lived in Alexandria, Egypt from 85 to 165 AD, and who is quite famous for his works on astronomy and geography, and famously said, I know that I am mortal and the creature of a day, but when I search out the massed wheeling circles of the stars, my feet no longer touch the earth, but side by side with Zeus himself I take my fill of ambrosia, the food of the gods. Although we don't know much about Ptolemy's personal life, he wrote a lot of books on astronomy, mathematics and geography and also developed a really um, interesting view of the universe. And he also extends Hipparchus' theory of the epicycles and the eccentric cycles to develop this theory of the Earth-centred theory of the solar system. And this theory is basically around the belief that the planets and the sun move around the Earth in this order. So it's Mercury, Venus, Sun, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. This theory he wrote about in his book called Almagest, which becomes known as the Ptolemaic system. And it was quite effective as it predicted the position of the planets for the naked eye observations. And this theory was also very influential right up until the 16th century when his ideas were disproved by Nicholas Copernicus, who proposes a more of a heliocentric view in 1543. Um, we mentioned Hypatia of Alexandria in our previous episode. And uh, interestingly, some scholars also theorise that uh, she may have been um, one of the editors of the Almagest as her father Theon is also meant to have written a version of it so yeah obviously we can't prove that but it's interesting. Another important text by Ptolemy is the Tetra Biblios which means four books and this is a text on the philosophy and practice of astrology written in the second century by Claudius Ptolemy and this is really the only remaining text that we have from that period that describes describes how they worked in those days, what they thought about and some of the ideas. And it's described as follows. The Tetra Biblios is considered the first modern textbook on astrology. Ptolemy described the function of the planets, houses and signs of the zodiac. He formulated the theory of aspects in which the distances between the planets in one's astrological chart have good or bad influence. The study of aspects is still an important part of modern astrology. Ptolemy's teachings remained unchanged for the next 1,400 years and it was not until 1543 when Nicholas Copernicus publishes his treaty that the vision that Ptolemy had was seriously challenged. Um, this this um, Tetra Biblios became the standard text for many of the Arabic philosophers and astrologers, which we'll be talking about in the future, as well as Europeans right up until the 17th century. 
And while the Almagest is more focused on astronomical theory, the Tetra Biblios really remains quite an important work for astrologers. Um, and this text really outlines the techniques of astrological practice, but also some of the philosophical ideas, um, his defences on the subject as well, that, that really sort of helped the theological and also the church tolerance towards the subject during the medieval period. It's very detailed, so we're not going to kind of go into detail with it, but uh, yeah, you can find copies of it, so it's worth reading if you're interested. And an example of the the clarity of Ptolemy's ideas in the Tetra Biblios can be seen in the following quote. A very few considerations would make it apparent to all that a certain power emanating from the eternal ethereal substance is dispersed through and permeates the whole region about the earth, which throughout is subject to change. Since of the primary sublunar elements, fire and air are encompassed and changed by the motions in the ether, and in turn encompass and change all else, earth and water and the plants and animals therein. For the sun, together with the ambient, is always in some way affecting everything on the earth, not only by the changes that accompany the seasons of the year to bring about the generation of animals, the productiveness of plants, the flowing of waters and the change of bodies, but also by its daily revolutions, furnishing heat, moisture, dryness and cold in regular order and in correspondence with its positions relative to the zenith. The moon too, as the heavenly body nearest the earth, bespows her effluence most abundantly upon mundane things, for most of them animate or inanimate are sympathetic to her and change in company with her. The rivers increase and diminish their streams with her lights, the seas turn their own tides with her rising and setting, and plants and animals in whole or in some part wax and wane with her. Moreover, the passages of the fixed stars and the planets through the sky often signify hot, windy and snowy conditions of the air, and mundane things are affected accordingly. So as we can see from that quote, Ptolemy is talking specifically about how things are directly affected by the movement of these celestial bodies, these stars, these planets. That's all we've got time for this week. However, we will be continuing our discussion on some of the historical aspects of astrology in our next episode by focusing on Rome and the Roman influences. So if you enjoyed today, then stay tuned for a trip to ancient Rome. We will finish our episode today with a beautiful Orphic hymn to Astron or the stars. With holy voice I call the stars, on high, pure sacred lights and genie of the sky, celestial stars, the prodigy of night, in whirling circles beaming far your light. Refulgent rays around the heavens ye throw, eternal fires the source of all below, with flames signifant of fate ye shine, and aptly rule for men a path divine. In seven bright zones ye run with wandering flames, and heaven and earth compose your lucid frames. With course unwearied, pure and fiery bright, forever shining through the veil of night, hail twinkling, joyful, ever wakeful fires, 
propitious shine on my just desires. These sacred rites regard with conscious rays and end our works devoted to your praise. Thanks very much for joining us this week on the Occult London Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Please make sure to visit our website at occultlondon.com.